Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm so happy to be here with you today. The music in the background is from our good friend, Mr. John McLaughlin. Make sure you've grabbed a copy of his latest album, Angst and Grace. It's so good. I just love it. I love it. And we'd like to thank one of our sponsors for today's show, West Rock Coffee. West Rock Coffee is a brand that is changing lives by providing coffee that you can be proud to choose for your home. Their focus is to be a catalyst for change in the lives of farmers and their families by paying a fair price for their delicious coffee and offering farmers training to enhance the quality and quantity of their crops. Most of us will enjoy a cup or two or three of coffee a day. I know you guys. Uh, Some of us without even knowing which brand we choose. So choose West Rock Coffee's delicious blends that are truly changing lives. Find West Rock Coffee at your local Kroger or go to westrockcoffee.com to find out where you can add Westrock to your grocery list. As you know, if you've listened to the last couple of episodes, we are doing a whole month of couples here on That Sounds Fun. Last week, we had the podcast friends, Knox and Jamie. Monday, we had Jessica and Dre. And today are my friends, Jeff and Alyssa Bethke. Here's the thing I want to tell you about couples month. Couples month is not about just hearing sappy stories. And couples month is not about all of us just hearing newlywed stories. Couples Month is about hearing from two people at the same time about what God has done in their lives and about what they care about most and about what we can learn about God from two people whose lives were woven together by Him. And I just think it's incredibly fun. I'm having the best time. The conversations today and the ones coming up the rest of this month are just amazing. Jeff and Alyssa Bethke are friends who have been on the show before. Jeff has. And they are amazing authors, podcasters. Jeff just released two new podcasts. Alyssa has books. Jeff has books. They are just awesome. They also made kids, three of them. They have three kids as well. They live in Maui and I just adore them. I think they're really fun. And I love their thoughts on marriage and relationship and raising a family and all sorts of other things. And YouTube. I love talking to Jeff about YouTube. So I hope you enjoy this conversation today as our month of couples podcasts continue with Jeff and Alyssa Bethke. Hi, Bethke's. Thanks for being on the show. How are you doing? I'm great. Alyssa, have you you been on the show before? Well, (laughs) no, I'm I'm so excited. (laughs) Jeff, like, as soon as you asked me that, he was asking if I was recording, so I was looking. Well, yeah, I asked her. I basically did one. I did one of those silent questions where I'm trying to ask her something while I know we're recording. So she went to check on that question when you said hi. <laughs> but I have I was, to like, I, was, I, was, I have to. I was scoot. hoping that she would multitask in that moment, and then. But she I let can't me, because like, I have to scoot and bend down really awkwardly. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we're doing good. We're doing it's good. good. <laughs> um, are you holding your baby right now? No. Yeah, we actually big news. We actually just had a, a a friend of ours who actually is the daughter of the person that we do our mentors family teams venture with. Um, just come, just actually flew out yesterday and is living with us for six weeks to kind of help with some projects, help kind of no um, way. Help out the house. So yeah, so so she's watching the baby, which feels, feels we feel very uh, like empty-handed right now. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of. I feel like we're almost on a date. Yeah, <laughs> with me. Thank you so much, you guys. Yeah. I do love being included. I mean, it's I, I am never one to say no when a couple's like, come eat dinner with our family or go to dinner with us. I'm like, okay. It all sounds good to me. <laughs> so it works. Tell me when, I mean, y'all have three kids and you both have podcasts and books. What was the moment when you went, hey, we need some help? Well, I want to let's answer that because I think my threshold's a little different than, than Jeff's uh, threshold. So yeah. yeah. Jeff can pretty much do anything. Well, I don't know about that. but And I'm like in the fetal position most days, like, yeah. oh, I can't do this. But it was, we actually, the person that's staying with us, 
Kelsey, she actually um, had emailed us when I was pregnant with Lucy. I was like, hey, if because she comes from a family of five and when her mom transitioned to three, it was the hardest for her. And so she's like, hey, if you want me to come live with you for a couple months this year and help just with anything you need, I'm welcome to. And we just thought that was amazing. But we hadn't had Lucy yet. And I was like, I don't know what I would need help with. And, um, and so then after she was born, like a month into it, I was like, the house starts burning down and you go, right. wait, I smell smoke. Right. No, it was I, just, I smell smoke. We need to no, like, not, we need not, help. that's not a metaphor. That's like, we actually, the house burns on fire because the toddlers. No, no, I'm joking. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, that's definitely part of it. Keep going. Yeah. Well, I think it's hard to imagine until you have your kids and I just am, it's been a humbling season and, I'm just not able to do 90% of the things I used to right now. So a lot of the household stuff or like grocery shopping or meal planning, yeah. I'm like, I just can't do that right now. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was kind of like a month into having a baby. Um, and how old are the other two now, Liz? They're four and a half, two and a half, and then Lucy's three months. Yeah. So that's like no joke. Every one of them needs you all the time. Any one of them could need you 24 hours a day. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. We, and, that, and that's why actually why we've heard three tends to be like we, we've had a couple families say this and we kind of agree where ten, three tends to be like that threshold breaking moment where, you know, not that you like, you know, die and burn out, but like, yeah, you got to make sure your systems are good and you got to make sure your rhythms are good and all these things are good because that will really push your threshold because that's right at that threshold of the the oldest aren't yet like nine or 10 year olds type of thing to, you know, help out, help out and do a lot more and do some more um, housework, stuff like that. So yeah, it's kind of, there's still a lot more immediate needs usually if you're, you know, packing the kids close together two years apart like we are. So. And you switch from man to man coverage to zone. Exactly. So you're outnumbered. (laughs) I know. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's just a little different. And I feel like we're kind of in a season of divide and conquer. Like we have things we need to do. We just have to stay focused and, you know, giving up a lot of ideals and expectations and really putting like, what is the highest priority? And let's just focus on that. And then the other things kind of have to go by the wayside right now. So yeah. it's just a different season. Well, I think that has been the blessing though, too. Like the, the cool, like I told the list of this, like, I don't feel like three has been actually as hard as some other people say, but it does feel like everything just teeters right on the edge. Like there's three's <laughs> sure. right it's like threes where like the systems have to work or else it doesn't work, you right, know? Right. But I also think it's been really humbling and I think it's been a really good learning experience for us because it's really showed us that, man, we we did try to beat some of these things to the punches and set up some really good practices that have helped us. But then on top of that, just really, it really makes you prioritize like what really matters and what really needs to be the center. Um, and that's not just with kids. I mean, anyone listening, you know, whether that's, you know, grad school, whether that's a high octane job, whether that's, it, whether it is toddlers, there, when you get in seasons of more pressure and tension, you can either uh, go one way or the other. And the healthy way I think is actually like, no, no, we, I really got to take this to the Lord and make sure that my hands are open, but then also make sure that he's really the one prioritizing my life. I'm not the one doing that. And I think there's a big difference between kind of important and urgent. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we're, we're, we're slaves to the urgent mm-hmm. when a lot of times that's just actually kind of more a curated, calculated 2019 technology can fake us into stuff that's urgent when in really, reality it's not important. And I think that's what we've learned. Uh, I heard a teacher teach recently about the difference between having glass balls and ping pong balls. And the, you can only drop one of them. Mm. Yeah. And so you really need to know in your life which which things are glass and which are ping pong. Because the ping pong ones are going to bounce and come back to you. And so determining urgent versus important to me feels like ping pong versus glass. Yes. That's a That's great so metaphor. Hold on to the ones that you don't want to drop and that don't want, you don't want to yeah. break. Exactly. Yeah. Which to us is the really high level relational intimacy, intimacy with the kids. 
um, you know, the high, very focused things with our vocation, which when some other stuff slips, et cetera. Yeah, so yeah I agree. Hey, talk to me, Jeff, or either of y'all, I guess. Um, how many years have y'all been married now? Six. Yeah, six, six years. and a half or okay. so, yeah. Six yeah. and a half years, three kids. And one of the things I love about what y'all do is you kind of are like, hey, from right where we are, we're going to tell you the best that we have learned. Right. But I watched you, Jeff, a couple of weeks ago, you wrote about this. And I thought it was so interesting. I was like, I'm so glad they're coming on the show because some people have pushed back to you and gone like, what do you know about marriage? How are you teaching about marriage already? Yeah. <laughs> but I loved your response. So will you kind of talk about the important, because I think people need to know that you can be mentored by someone who's just one day ahead of you. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. that was essentially it. It's like, I think you just, you know, you, you said it in a couple different ways of like, we're, there's a difference between having to, uh, think you have it all together to share. And I think the world actually needs less of that and more of here's a couple things I've learned while I'm still clearly on a journey towards going in a particular direction. And like with anything else in life, with actual physical, tangible goods or any other type of your job, like if someone has worked at a job for only six months and there's also people that have worked at that job for 30 years and a new person gets hired, the person who's only worked there for six months very much can still translate the culture yeah. to the person who just started yep. today, very much can actually give you, hey, here's where the cafeteria is. Here's the thing you shouldn't do. Here's the person you should avoid because they're toxic or I don't know, right? Yeah, Whatever yeah. You talk about in office cultures, like a six month person can do that because they're still ahead and they're and I actually think there's actually some things to some degree that actually the six month person can even do better than the 30 year person because yeah. the 30 year person sometimes has forgot yes. the freshness of that feeling the yeah. rawness of that feeling the newness of that feeling and so we try to see our vocation and our mission as that we try to come alongside and say hey what do we know about marriage? Pretty much nothing. But we've been married six and a half years. We've <laughs> mm -hmm. implemented a couple systems and a couple things. And we've had a couple breakdowns that our mentors have clearly helped us and shaped us in. And if we can pass that on and that can be helpful, great. If not, then go ahead and move on. And we probably won't be that helpful to you. And honestly, that's why we even started our family teams venture with, with our mentors, which is like a basically an online initiative for creating multi-generational family teams on mission, us as a married couple and our mentors as a married couple and their family, because we just realized we have mentors and we have people that are very, have full access into our life and we can ask us hard questions and call us out, et cetera. And the more and more we do this online stuff, we're just realizing like most people don't like right. that's actually like, like most people just don't actually have that. Um, and that's kind of blown us away because our, easily the most measurable transformative things in our life easily have been like direct conversations and discipleship and shepherding moments with another couple um, older than us. And so for us, then we're kind of, so then we also did reach that threshold where we're like, hey, let's just bring on, instead of just being the middlemen, actually, because a lot of times we're just passing on stuff that we've kind of just started to implement. Let's do a little bit of both. Maybe what we can say can be helpful, but we also would like to bring along on kind of our online platform, our mentors. And so, yeah, so that was a long-winded answer, but I think no, yeah, I like you just kind of, everyone has something to share. And, and I think it just comes down to humility and community of realizing, man, are you in a place where you're, where someone could use your help. That's yeah. really the, like, it's cause it's out of an act of service, not a platform that I'm trying to stand on to lord it over someone, but it's man, can I, can we serve anyone? And if we can, we'd really love to. Alyssa, I actually remember you writing about this and spoken for, cause even in your singleness, you had mentors that were really close to you, right? Right. Mm -hmm. I just remember thinking like, oh man, that is a system you'd already put in place in your life long before Jeff came along. Right, the mentoring. Will you talk about how mentoring helped you as a single person and as a married person? Yeah, well, I think, and it looks different. I feel like mentoring looks different when you're single than when you're married too. But I don't know. I think just growing up in the church, I was always taught how important mentoring is. And it's 
you know, transformed different seasons I've been in. But when I was an intern here in Maui at a church, they assign you with a mentor. And I feel like that really um, transformed my life just to be with someone that was older. At the time I was, how old was I? 22. Mm -hmm. And my mentor was like 30 and she had three kids. And not only was it so wonderful, like being far from home to be included in their family. She'd have us meet over for dinners and I'd go to the beach with her kids and just see how she is as a mom. But then she would have me over like once a week um, to just have heart to hearts like, hey, how are you doing? Let's pray together. Let's talk about all the heart issues and heart things in you, which really was a big part of a lot of my healing and just transformation. I feel like when you're with an older mentor and they ask you the hard questions and you can process things out loud and you're not just in your head or with your peers, that really is when you grow. So I was so thankful for those mentors. And I, I think I had like three, um, two were like in their thirties and then one was in her, you know, more my mom's age. So that was really great. And then I think being married, it's looked different in different seasons, having, um, you know, a couple that we can go to for mentoring for our marriage and then having, I feel like in this season, my mom actually has really played a big part kind of in just... Yeah, because they moved to Maui, right? Yeah, they moved to Maui and um, she's just such a big part of my life. And not that I initially go to her for marriage advice, but just um, like heart to hearts, how are you doing? Just finding so much encouragement from her. Um, as a mom and as a woman and how to really be brave and passions that I want to (laughs) (laughs) pursue. So I'm really thankful for her, but I think it's just like different in different seasons, but whatever season I'm in, if I'm with being accountable to someone older and asking them questions, I feel like it brings a lot of growth and also just really comforting. Like, oh, you've been there before. You understand it. I'm not alone. You have wisdom in that or you're going to pray with me through that journey has been really encouraging. Will y'all tell me more about the family team thing you created with the other couple? What kind of research? I mean, it's a podcast, right? But there's other resources too around it, right? Yeah, podcast is kind of on the tangent side of things, but right. um, but it's one or one one of the things. One of the things, yeah, it's definitely kind of a whole multi-arm, multi-level thing. But essentially, what it is is so our mentors, his names Jeremy and April, and they for the past two decades really kind of gone head first on researching, studying, and overall critiquing kind of the Western view of family and how it's actually inherently set up for the individual success of each member of the family to actually springboard off the family, leave, disseminate, and then you hit the restart button and you start over again. There's no actual multi-generational building. And the, within, right. the and, and but when you look in the actual scriptures, like that is what family is meant. Family is one of the primary vehicles to actually spread God's goodness and blessing on the earth. Like the, the, yeah. the mandate to actually create and cultivate and reign and rule is through the mandate of a family. Now, this doesn't mean that each person has to be the nuclear perfect family, just like whether you're, you're single or you're married or you're young or you're old, you're part of a family. Everyone is part of a family. So mm-hmm. it doesn't, it's not like it's like, you know, you need to be this cute white picket fence, like, you know, um, marriage and two kids type of thing. Everyone's part of a family. And so I think understanding that dynamic is really huge. And that's what we see in scripture. That's actually not the only way but clearly one of God's main ways to perpetuate his blessing, right? Right. It's the garden mandate is, uh, you know, be fruitful and multiply, 
so you, you can go get this job done, so you can go reign and rule, so you can actually go perpetuate God's blessing in the earth. Okay, they fail at that, so then Noah comes up, and he says the same thing, comes off the ark, be fruitful and multiply, and go actually bring my blessing unto the earth. Mm-hmm. He fails at that. And then we see a little bit of success a couple chapters later in Abraham, where Abraham, okay, we're, I'm going to make an actual whole nation out of you, so go be fruitful and multiply, and out of you, one man, one woman, and a family, and a promise, I'm actually going to not only bring a whole nation, but then actually bring Messiah and save and reign and rule. And then obviously Jesus creates the new family in some sense in himself. And so, yeah, so it's kind of just this premise of like, man, there's a lot more richness and goodness and blessing and kind of out of the boxness, I would say, that we're leaving on the table by not realizing the water we're swimming in in the West. Basically, like the way we do family in the West has been an experiment for the last hundred years. And by the West, you mean like our, you kind of mean upper West. US, UK, Australia, kind of Western thinking, predominantly Anglo-Saxon. Um, you know, postmodern enlightenment yeah. era, kind of yeah. that type of ethos has created. And then like you go back to the industrial revolution, the industrial revolution ravished families, right? Yeah. Um, and disintegrated families to the point where now work is actually the most important thing and not just work, but dehumanizing work where you actually aren't that valued. We just want you to actually produce more things and bigger things and better things. And to me, that sounds a lot like Egypt and Pharaoh and the bricks, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, (laughs) fiery. I know. And so, yeah, we're basically living in this experiment. And so they've been in this thing of just like, no, what, what is God's design for family? And it's, it's, it's again, to build multi-generational family teams on mission. So multi-generational, it's way longer, way bigger than what we do. You know, our kids turn 18, we send them out of the house and say, bye, I never want to see you again. Mm-hmm. And we actually purposely have the ethos of like, definitely don't like kind of stay in the family, like go start yeah, your new, yeah. new thing, right? Yeah. But like literally, if you, did, if you did that in 1 AD, you would have died. Like you literally just would have died. Right, because you wouldn't have had the resources. No, you, that's not how it works back then. Right. Like it, it, we're actually so peculiarly rich and wealthy. We're the only people in history that could even come close to doing that. Right. Like kind of throwing the kids in the pool and saying swim when they're like six months old. Yep. It's like, you know, um, we're the only culture that can afford a floaty per se to actually even make that semi-viable. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's like you try to actually you try to actually go restart every generation and you die. The whole purpose actually 2,000 years ago was to actually gain resources, steward those resources, and then expand those resources for your last name. And the prodigal son story takes on a whole nother theme and a whole nother element when you see it through that lens yeah. because when he wastes his inheritance, he's not just wasting his inheritance and spending on himself in Vegas. He actually just ruined the ability for his next 500 years of generations to actually have any type of viability in their culture because he just like like his family's been working for a thousand years to have that cattle and to have that land and to expand their resources and he just wasted it all and now they have to start over so he just killed 500 years dude i'm literally preaching that story on two sundays i'm like that is a whole new side of it totally and no one really talks about that of like no no that's why the brother's so pissed right yeah brother can i say that too late yeah of course um is because he just basically spent the bank account down to zero when that money's for the family like that's how you couldn't survive back then. So, P.S. Why did Jesus tell that parable without a mom in it? Why, oh, where was the mom? Good, yeah, that's that, a great question. That's, a great, that's probably actually why the, she was probably in her house on her knees praying. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. The dad's on the front porch looking. The mom's dad's interceding on the front inside, porch. That's yeah, a perfect family team. Yeah, that's right. So there's a lot more there, but essentially there there's this ethos and this idea of like, no, we need to get back to multi generational family teams on mission. Like families actually have a mission. Um, and that's to steward and reign and rule just like it is for everyone. But um, families particularly can step into that design that we see in the garden. 
So what it is then is we, they've been teaching us and shepherding us in that for five, six years. And we've just seen so much blessing in our family, so much fruitfulness, so much kind of clicking. Like, you know, when you step into God's design, you're like, oh, this clicks, this works, this makes sense. Um, to the point where just so many people then start asking, like, you know, just because from what I share in books and what I share on Instagram, like, you know, is there more of this? Is there more of this? Blah, blah, blah. They're like, you know, resources and books. Yeah. And I was just like, we felt very insecure, kind of like what you talked about in the beginning of like, no, this isn't like, we're still trying to figure this out. We're still trying to get out of the experiment. We're still trying to kind of iterate and figure it out. And so then what we did is then we kind of just through the Lord's providence, we went to our mentors because they're, they've actually had a huge impact in Ohio and discipled for two decades. And there's a lot of families there that have been really revolutionized, oh, but wow. they're not really online. They're not really like, you know, kind of do what we do. kind of dig that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot more local, a lot more regional. And so we kind of said, like, we kind of went to them and just said, Hey, like, what if we put these two, what if we hitch these two wagons together where you guys kind of, you know, come on and we kind of help you get this stuff online and get this stuff more disseminated. And so essentially it's everything. Like it's just family teams is a everything platform where we have e-courses, we have books, we have social media, we have multiple podcasts where we just want to help people um, think about how to live like that and how to live multi-generationally. Because like, I, I like to say, you know, God's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But if he showed up today, he'd be the God of, I don't know, I don't know, and I don't care because we can't even yeah. come close to going back three generations. So there's like an, and like there's single women listening to this and single men listening to this. And part of it, it, I wouldn't be getting to do what I was doing if I lived in 180. But also... I would love to, and I know so many of my friends who are listening would love to be, to have a family and to be a family. What do I do right now to kind of step into that life until that is actually my life? Well, I want to hear Alyssa's take on this, but I'll give a quick summary that I think is really helpful. So there's, we've lost the theology that there's clearly two vocations in the New Testament, mm -hmm. that there's clearly a married vocation and there's clearly a single vocation, equally important, equally necessary, and actually equally dependent. Like, like it's a mm. double helix, like the DNA, where like they actually, the, the reason the resurrection movement turned the world upside down 2,000 years ago is because of the mechanism that Jesus had put into play of single people and married people in ministry together using their particular gifts. And uh, oh, okay. uh, the best way analogy I've kind of heard is kind of the, the, the army and the outpost, right? So like married people in the New Testament are the, the outpost. That's where you go to get refilled and recharged and to get your weapons. And that's where you go to get your clothes. That's where you go to get your uniforms, but they're not the army, right? The army right. is the people that then get all that stuff, refresh, refresh, sit at the table, et cetera, go out and then fight the war. Now, of course, it's, it's a little bit of a stretch because we're all in the war, obviously, but the metaphor help is helpful in some regard in that um, that's what it is, right? Like, and you see that when you start having that lens that, that like Luke 10, when Jesus goes to his single disciples, right? Yeah. You know, they're 18, 19 years of age, by the way. We all think they're 30, you know, 35. Like it, it, those, those were Jewish old teenagers. Yeah, I do think they were 35. No? No. Most data that I've read and most kind of scholarly research that I've read suggests that they were about probably 19 to 22. That's, that could be wrong. Cool. But um, I think that's really, I, th I think that's really interesting. And that's now, of course, really you know, Paul obviously is getting... Yeah, Paul's obviously getting uh, you know single uh, a lot later in life, and uh, some other people. But yeah, in general, in the Gospels, that they're seen about that age. But so he goes to them in Luke ten, and he says, "Okay, go from town to town." Like he gives them the game plan and the blueprint. He goes, "Go to from town to town and find what the person of peace." Now yeah, again, in the first yeah. century the ancient Near East text, and you start getting into these kind of cultures, the person of peace was kind of like, who's the beacon in the community? Who's the family or the patriarch or the father in the 
community and in the city or in the village that kind of can represent you and kind of take you under their wing as a place of feeding you, clothing you, helping you, and kind of a landing spot, a refreshment and a recharge so that you can actually do the work I've called you to do. And he says, if you can't find a person of peace, shake your, your feet off and go yeah. to the next town. Yeah. And to me, I think that's a perfect text of like, that's like, you know, there, there is a level at which I think, and again, total generalization, because you got some older single people, you got some younger marrieds, there's all these different nuances, but in the generalization, there's a lot of truth I think we can wrestle wrestle with, which in general is there is a freedom and a adventurousness that I think God has given particularly available to single people in his that he's calling on his mission. And so that's, to bring that really practical, that's like, you know, single people like, you know, probably don't get a mortgage, probably don't sign on for a 20 year job in a place or probably don't go X, Y, and Z, you know, and married people though, get rooted, stay, live there for 30 years. Don't move around. Like now, of course, generalization again, but I think that's, there's this level of that dynamic plays really well that actually spread the, spread the gospel. It was like these hubs and then these people that would move around. And when you put those two together, I think it's really, really special. Would you add anything? Yeah. Like when I think of that, Annie, I think of you and I feel like Sadie, like you guys exemplify that so well. Like I know I see you guys are both really close to the Lions, Rebecca Lions and Gabe and like they're this family, this light and this family of peace in the community and you guys are really close and um, I'm sure you go go, incredible work. Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, I'd love to hear your um, thoughts on it, but I'm sure you guys go over there and feel like part of their family and get filled up and then you can go out like just use your giftings in so many ways, um, but being encouraged by them. And of course they're like going out and sharing the gospel and stuff too. But um, I just see that as a beautiful picture. And I think for both people, we need both of us. Like I know when I am with singles, it makes me just so encouraged to see how God is working. It makes my faith become so much bigger. And it's like, Hey, I would love to just like pour into you and pray for you as you go out. And I'm sure singles, it's like, Hey, I just need a family sometimes to go to and like have a home cooked meal and, you know, just single play with your cook, kids. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah but like, we're, <laughs> but you're right. I, when I was single. I never wanted yeah. to cook for myself. No, like, I mean. yeah. you know, just to be around a family or sit, especially when, you know, you're in college just to go over to a house and yeah. sit on a couch instead of your, yeah. your right, dorm room bed, right. you know, those things. Um, well, I think it's really beautiful how God made it where they both pair really well with each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And our, and again, our culture is different, but uh, back then it clearly was an issue of resources and administering those resources yeah. that the person of peace was really able to harness, steward, and distribute resources that were beyond helpful and needed to people that were a little mm-hmm. bit more itinerant or traveling around. And again, mm-hmm. that's... It's not, it doesn't always play out like that, but it's clear that's how it plays out in the New Testament. You know, he says, yeah. don't bring your stuff, don't bring your sack, don't bring mm-hmm. your sword, don't bring your, you know, whatever, all these things, um, because, you know, the person of peace will give you that. So, yeah. yeah, that's like such an overview or generalization. But it's, yeah, I think we just need to, short answer is we need to live in our vocations contently. I don't think we, yeah. you know, single people a lot of times yearn to get out of that season, mm-hmm. and sometimes married people yearn to get out of there and be more unrooted and jump around. And it's like, no, just... Uh, kind of be content in the season that God ha- has for you.
Hey friends, just want to interrupt this conversation with Jeff and Alyssa real quick to tell you about the new movie, Run the Race, from executive producers Tim Tebow and Robbie Tebow. Good old Tim, a friend of the show. We adore him. This film was made with students in mind, and it's a movie that youth groups across the country should be planning to see. It's so inspiring and relevant, relatable, and actually really funny. And it shows what's possible when we run toward the overwhelming love of God. So this movie, Run the Race, will be in theaters nationwide February 22nd, and you can get tickets at runtheracemovie.com. Again, that's runtheracemovie.com, where you can get tickets, see where it is showing near you, and watch the trailer, which I think you're really, really going to enjoy. So looking forward to that on February 22nd, and three cheers to Tim Tebow. And now back to my conversation with Jeff and Alyssa. There is something really special about holding in one hand. I have things that I want that I don't have yet. And in the other hand going, but I, man, I've got more than I deserve, you know, and giving people permission that contentment can be acknowledging both of those things. Contentment doesn't mean pretending like you don't want anything. It's just acknowledging that you also have more than you deserve and things are going really well. No, I agree. It's like, I I think I, I think of this classically when I, when I went to a Christian college and it's all like the you know, the, the people that are like, oh, I'm so content in the Lord. I don't want a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Yeah. And then they kind of like open one eye after they're done praying and like, where is he? Yeah, is yeah, he? yeah. Right. And then they put their head back down, you know? It's like, no, it's like, Or no. that pressure to like, you have to be content and then God will give it to yeah, you. Yeah, and it's like, Ugh. no, he's not some like trick pony that, that works like yeah, that right. either. No, no. But I think, but I, I think it's both. Like I think contentedness is actually, or being content is more about trust, surrender, and the ability to live unanxiously hmm. in where you're at in this yeah. moment. I don't yeah. think it means that you don't desire. I don't think it doesn't mean you don't wrestle and it doesn't think you don't mean that you don't want something else. But I think there's a difference between like um, an open hand comfortability with the Lord in your moment, which is different than like, oh, I'm not, I don't feel that. I don't desire that. I'm just so content in the Lord. Yeah. And accepting the season you're in. Yeah. And I feel like I'm learning that even now, you know, for so long I wanted to be married so much. And now as a mom, like I'm living my dream. I'm a mom of three She wanted kids. to be married so much until she got married to me and said, nah, maybe this wasn't <laughs> all cracked up to me. She's like, I'm going <laughs> to need some more people to live in this house. Let's start having kids. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I think, um, you know, this season of having three and four and under, it's like, and there's other things going on right now that are just really hard. And I'm just, I feel like the Lord's teaching me right now, instead of, constantly saying this is really hard or I wishing it was different or I can't wait for three months till this is season has passed, but just really accepting it and saying, okay, God, what do you have for me in this season? How can I learn? How can I grow and be strong and really persevere through this? And I think whatever season you're in, there's things to accept. And I think that's part of contentment too, of like, okay, God's doing something here. What can I learn? What can I know about him? How can I lean into him? And this is, even if it's a hard season, it's like, but this is good. Like God is drawing me closer to him. And I'm, I don't know, being humbled or learning surrender or, um, and it's not just like, okay, I have a lesson to learn, but it's like, Hey, God wants to draw me closer to him. I guess I just think of like, he just wants me to become, to know him more and to be known more and to be more intimate with him and to be held by him. And after this, I'm, it's like, um, gold being purified through fire Mm -hmm. after this i'm going to be a lot stronger and so i think that's part of the contentment journey too in whatever season i had a friend recently say that 
he was just encouraging me. Him and I had gone over to a married couple's house and spent like a couple of hours on a Saturday afternoon. And when I left that night, they just, you know, we were texting saying, thanks for having me over and whatever. And he said, just remember, you're in the center of God's kindness for you. Mm. And I like wrote it on my mirror in, um, in dry erase marker. And every day when I'm getting ready, I go, okay, whatever today looks like, this is the center of God's kindness for me. And that doesn't mean I have to love every bit of it. It doesn't mean the world isn't a fallen place. It just means like, oh, I can find God's kindness here. That's so good. That's so good, Annie. When I feel like, yeah, we so quickly usually, without us realizing it, subconsciously, unconsciously, we're we're jumping to so many thoughts of, he doesn't have my best interest in mind. He's not thinking of me. He doesn't, you know, he's not lavish with his grace. And we don't say this stuff out loud, but I think, yeah, you have to remind yourself of what the actual bullseye of his character is like. And it is that, yeah, his kindness is is flooding over you and it's, it's, he has your best in mind. Right. I mean, and sometimes, I don't know if y'all have ever felt this, but it took me a really long time to say this sentence out loud because I thought it would get me in trouble with everyone. But for a while, I kind of had this lie in my head and this question toward God of like, do you care more about my ministry than you care about me? Mm. Like, does it matter more to you that we do good work than that you answer the prayer that I'm praying? And A, no, he do- of course he cares more about our hearts. Yeah. But once I started saying that out loud, all these people in ministry, married, single, parents, not parents, all these people in ministry started going, I've said that too. I've wondered that too. And you just go, man, what? so tell me the difference because y'all are in, in this season that is so busy and so intense where it can feel like, okay, God's handed us all of this stuff. How do you know the difference between God using the hard places for his glory and God causing the hard places so that he is glorified in your pain. Well, I love the distinction, first of all, because I think I think both of those are true. I think there's sometimes that you just I think we try to flatten that question too much, obviously theologically, if God always co- co- you know causes right. bad and causes wrong and, and it's like, no, no, he doesn't. But um God there there, there is an actual evil demonic world that clearly is at war with Yahweh in Jesus. And there's going to be some severe waves on that ocean. And so no, that's caused from them. It's clear. It's it's just like a normal war, like you'd think with normal people, but of course God's sovereign and he's king and he's reigning and he's ruling. But that doesn't mean that it's just like, they're just, you know, like he, it's, it's real, real warfare. And so I think that means that there is some stuff that's like, no, it's not, that's not from him. That's Mm -hmm. not one bit from him, but he's big enough clearly with a scriptural precedent over and over again to maneuver to, you know, to kind of have a gotcha moments with Satan where God, you know, where Jesus, you know, where Satan thinks he won and God clearly was already had something in mind. Um, Obviously you see Joseph with that example. Um, But then there's also clearly where it does seem like there is some particularly ordained moments that do seem kind of like, oh yeah, that was meant to come from God, but that was also evil and suffering at the same time. And that we see that in Christ on the cross. So we have to wrestle with the tension there that it's not just this one answer, you know, yeah, that, that it clearly is, there's multiple examples across the spectrum yeah. of how it comes from God or, or, or did he not, or uh, can he redeem it? Or it's all over the, there's different examples. And so I would say that's where I like to start of like, yeah, you got to wrestle through that. You got to wrestle through that. You have to be at his feet. And to me, I think that's what it comes down to. It comes down to intimacy. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we, we forget that like God's goal is intimacy with his people. From Genesis to Revelation, he's trying to get close. Mm -hmm. Like notice how it's not, the whole scriptural narrative is not about God getting farther away. It's about God getting closer. You got God in the temple, which is very intimate and close in the ancient Near East. And then you have God in Jesus showing up in flesh, which is even closer, so close that we actually had the ability ourselves to kill him 
And then even then he says, no, I even want to go one step closer. And so then you have Pentecost where he actually indwells us with his very spirit, which is so close that even our actual thoughts can grieve the very heart of God. And so that to me, you got to remember that and you have to remember that that's his goal. And so like if he wants to come close, then I can receive that closeness. I can ask him in that closeness. Like intimacy is the heart of what the scriptures are trying to get at. And yeah. so I think then that's the lens in which I think you can then try to ask and interpret those tensions. You know what yeah. I mean? Not just like you're not left to guess because I think he leads you then in that. I think he leads you in that and that is the process. And there's clearly precedent in scripture where sometimes you get no answer until you step out in faith. Then you get the revelation of, oh yeah, that was exactly what you're supposed to do and here's why. Sometimes you get the, oh, hey, I'm speaking to you. You need to go over here and take a left turn before you fall off a cliff. Right. You say yes there. It's, it's like it's, it's kind of all over the board, you know, that he clearly sometimes gives you the revelation before, gives it after. Um, and I don't know. I think that's kind of vague, I guess, but I feel like that's how I, you have to kind of have that framework, I think, to interpret it. Would you add anything to that? Mm-hmm. I think whatever situation you're in, God will use it. He will redeem it. It will be used for good. Um, if you allow him, like, I think God always makes something useful. Nothing is in yeah. vain. There's that Job 42 too. Like, I think that's the right verse about how nothing is in vain. This is such a good question because we have to be really careful. I think when people are going through hard times of how we encourage them and comfort them and the words that we say, because some hard things that we go through, I think it's just like what Jeff was talking about. It's I don't think God caused it. I think it because of evil and we live in a fallen world and things happen and God will redeem it. God will meet us there and he'll be so intimate with us. But um, to just be really sensitive to those times. And then I think there's other times where it's like, oh, God intervened so that just like Jeff said, he intervened. So to protect me or to reroute my course. So mm-hmm. he wanted something mm-hmm. else for me. Like I think of, um, for instance, a couple years ago, we went through a miscarriage and it was the hardest, most grieving thing I've ever gone through. And I remember listening to a podcast of someone who was talking about when they were in college and they were an athlete and they were like, they were really, really good and they got really hurt and they couldn't play anymore and just how devastating that was. But I feel like what God was teaching him in that season of grief was different than what God had in mind for losing a child and it was right. and so we have to be careful when we yeah those don't conflate they, those. Those yeah right. like I right. like he was like I feel like God allowed me to get hurt because he knew that this was an idol in my life and he had other plans for me and he like he didn't want me to go into you know yeah. pro athletics he had a different plan for me to go this direction and I was like that is so cool and I totally see that in that circumstance but when you lose a child or something like that it's like no I really believe that was we live in a fallen world, you yeah, know, it's and death. it's that's death and that's not what yeah. God desires. And, um, and so I think we have to be careful when we're encouraging people and comforting people walking through seasons of grief, what to just be really sensitive to the spirit and, um, how we encourage them. Yeah. That was a good distinction. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, I just remember I wrestled so much with that question, Annie of like, I just don't think they're the same. And I think yes. even in, those things, it, there's differences of what God's plan is in there. So, But I, I think the final point that you're saying, though, which is true, which it's clearly the cool part about our God is that he always has the final word. Yes. So there is, a more, there is a bigger, more mysterious, more complex, crazy world out there than we like to think in our nice, cute package theology, mm-hmm. again, in the West. 
Um, Because again, when you go to back again to the world of the scriptures, seems to me like they were totally fine with this tension. It just seems to me like the writers of the New Testament seemed very, very Mm -hmm. plain to to not contradict themselves to just, but to clearly be like, yeah, that's from the devil. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, yeah, that's from the Lord, even though that one feels dark, you know, and that's from that, like, that's clear. Like, it's clear that they're, those are both true. And that one's clearly from the curse. And there's also a thing called sin in general. There's a thing called the flesh. There's a thing called the world. You know, the writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament seem very, a lot more comfortable, I think, in the in, in the realm of the unseen than I think we are. Yeah. So I just think that's interesting. But I think what's, no matter what degree we're talking about, God has the final say and God has the final word. And always, you know, even in Jesus on the cross, you know, always kind of uh, there's always resurrection out of death, and yeah. what that looks like, we have to kind of flesh that out and figure that out. But and he um, always that principle is true. He always comes closer in that moment of pain. Yeah, I was reading in the New Testament last week about when Jesus heals the man's son, and you know the demon kept throwing the boy on the ground. The demon that was in the boy kept throwing him on the ground and like throwing him into fires and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, what would people do if that was happening today? You know, (laughs) would we not believe it or would we think like, what would we think? Because the supernatural has such a different bent in our minds now than it did in 2000 years ago. They were so much more accepting of things that it seems I was not there. It seems they were so much more accepting of things they didn't understand than we are. Totally. And what bothers me about that is we immediately interpret that as kind of chronological snobbery, as C.S. Lewis calls it, meaning like they were just dumber back then. Right. So that's why they, you know, and I'm like, no, they actually no. in some degrees were a lot smarter. Like we have actually completely, completely ripped out the unseen realm since about 1800 and give a lot of various non-helpful answers for when certain things happen. And I'm not saying, you know, the devil's behind every flat tire because that bothers me too. It really bothers me that our first jump is always to like, oh yeah, they just weren't as enlightened. Right. And it's like, no, no, no. They actually just understood how the world worked better. Yeah. And we have actually kind of actually gotten so singular and less well-rounded. But that's another conversation. (laughs) So one thing you said a second ago, Jeff, that I thought was really interesting was talking about hearing the Lord. And I would just wonder from both of y'all, one thing we talk about a lot on the show is how to hear God because people hear Him so differently. How has having your kids changed how you hear God for yourselves? I feel like the kids have 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 made me so much more spirit sensitive and spirit led because it's so like you you need help every four seconds. Right. I've never, I've never needed help every four seconds. <laughs> and so now it's just like, oh my goodness, I need help. And so you have to ask, you have to ask and you have to trust that that natural, that, that, that first inclination, not always is from Christ, but you have to trust that if you're living in Jesus, you're living, you're not living in sin, you're, re, you're repentant, you're in prayer, you're in community, you're in the scriptures. You have to trust that all those kind of things will shape you and frame you to the point where when you do actually have just a real question in real present time, that the Lord will show up and answer that question. Um, And so for me, that's kind of what, like, you kind of have to trust that. That's what the scripture says. And that that's, and of course you have to test the spirits and you have to, you know, make sure it lines up with scripture and all these things. But for me, that that's one really helpful one. And yeah, we, me and Alyssa hear the, hear the Lord really differently. I'm a lot more rational. I'm a lot more would just rather read a book on it um, and, you know, or the Bible on it. What are y'all's Enneagram numbers? I'm an eight. Alyssa's yes, a nine. Course. Yeah. Oh, of course. Um, which you probably, people probably sensed my <laughs> eightness earlier. Um, but, and we always talk about this. The joke for me is like, I'm the guy that just like, 
I don't make rash decisions, but I make really fast decisions. Sure. And my philosophy is if the Lord does not want me to do that, he will tell me no. When Alyssa's... Is, is he will exact, stop me. Yeah, he right. will stop me. And Alyssa is the exact opposite where I'm not taking a step until he says go. Oh, and wow. So that, it's, that was real fun the first two years really of marriage. Hard. I was about to say, actually, like oh my best, gosh. I think it's actually the best little compliment in this now because yeah. we really believe we're a better team now mm-hmm. with that tension. But yeah, before it was more like, no, 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 be faster, be faster, like make a better decision. Like, like I need go. two weeks to pray about yeah. it. And then she would just kind of accuse me of being non-spiritual and not loving the Lord, which is partly true in some <laughs> ways. But, um, but yeah, so, so, so I think, yeah, I mean, we hear differently in that. We're like, I don't, I even struggle to say that I hear from the Lord all the time. I just like kind of just walk in obedience or try to make decisions that I feel like are correct according to truth and scripture in Jesus. And then if like he really wants to get a hold of me, then he'll grab me by the shirt. That's kind of my philosophy when Alyssa has a little different philosophy. So, Well, I feel like I'm in a season of just learning to hear the voice of the Lord in general. Like I've always prayed and journaled and loved scripture, but the Holy Spirit and like hearing the voice of the Lord is honestly kind of new to me and so the lord is really growing me in that and it's been really sweet and i um you know i think he lately he's really been speaking through some of my friends they'll um say like hey i feel like the lord has told me to tell you this or they'll send me a text and it's like wow like you just saw into my soul that's the lord want me to tell you this and it's like that was me this morning or i have a word for you and um it's just been really really cool But I think with my kids, just like Jeff said, I've never been so desperate. Like, God, I just need, I think of James when it says like, ask for wisdom and he'll give generously. I'm like, God, I need wisdom every moment of every day or being really, lately I've just been wanting to be really sensitive to their hearts and what's going on. Why are they acting like this? What do they need? And um, a friend encouraged me lately to really ask the Lord, what do you want me to pray about for my child? Like, what do you want me to ask you, God, for Kinsley or Canon. And so I'm really trying to lean into that and um, really trying to trust in him and his guidance that he will, like he created them and he made me their mom and um, he will tell me exactly what they need or what's going on in their hearts more than like seeking advice or a book, which are really good. But I think lately I've just been really encouraged to ask the Lord like, hey, what do they need or what can I pray for them? And and he really does answer and it comes differently, like whether it's through a verse or a song or somebody saying something or the Lord just really telling me. But I'm trying to, it's funny that you asked that because I feel like I'm really learning that right now. And you don't have the time like I have to sit in a chair and like think about it for 40 minutes. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like in your current life phase. That is, and and that's actually a good point. And this is true of like, again, Married or single, everyone has busy seasons. Everyone has stressful seasons, young and old, you know, all these different things. But I I agree. I think busier seasons, no matter what your life stage is, yeah, it really teaches you to like kind of hold on to the micro moments Mm -hmm. of voice and listening and Mm -hmm. hearing Mm -hmm. um, rather than I think sometimes we can romanticize the like, you know, our quiet time in the morning. But I also think like, but you also should be quiet if you can be for an hour. So like, it's like, it's like, it's both. Like, it's like, you know, if you can do that, then yeah, sit in silence and turn off your phone and talk to the Lord. But if you're in a season where you can't, or it's really difficult, or you're like, God just also wants you to sleep. Like God Mm -hmm. just also like sleep is holy and sleep is sacred. And so if you're in a really hard season, then sleep and, you know, talk and then turn off the radio in the car or, you know, eat lunch by yourself so you can talk to the Lord. Yeah. Well, it's not eating lunch by yourself. It's, you know, pull up a chair for Jesus vibes. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so 
I think it's just like, it's kind of both, but I think that's what I, we have learned in the, the busy seasons of like, you got to just kind of be open to the spirit. And it's not, there's not just some magical time that is magical. And that's one of the things I would love for y'all to talk about. Cause something I've seen y'all model really well is Sabbath. And I know it's something you love. Like I love like, and John Mark Comer, who I adore and revere and think so highly of that you're like bros with. Um, he just teaches it so beautifully, but Tell me how y'all have found a way to bring Sabbath into a home that most people would say it's not possible to have a day of rest here. That's a good question. You mean like it's not possible to have a day of rest like as a family with kids? Yeah, or what do you mean? yeah, with littles. with yeah. yeah with littles. How <laughs> how is that? Yeah, restful? that took us about two years because yeah, because yeah, yeah. Alyssa because because when we first started Sabbathing, which is deeply important, <laughs> and I'm guessing you know I'm not going to catch people up on the theology of it. You, can, you know, John Mark talks about it, and I know he was on your podcast. Yeah, we have but, a whole episode with John Mark about Sabbath okay, from so, last year. So people so need, to go, really people need, to, go, people to, need to go listen to that. And the church is actually going through a Sabbath series right now, his church. Which Dude, is really good, it's but, so lit, um, isn't it? It's so good. I know. I know. Uh, but um, so I'm not going to catch people up on the theology of it. But yeah, so that so we, we we really believed in it. We saw the the, the goodness of it, the blessing of it. Um, and we started living in it. And there was a lot of feedback in our own lives. It was, it was really helpful and it was really restful. But there was the first couple of years, it was like very restful for me. And then Alyssa was like, I'm I, like, I'm still changing diapers and I'm still feeding uh. and I'm still. So I think it just comes down to iterating. And that's what actually kind of bothers me. I think sometimes about people who try to start getting, getting into Sabbath is we treat it like we do as millennials with everything else. If it's not mm-hmm. perfect and amazing. And if I'm not a millionaire by age 19, well, then my job sucks. You know, right. and it's like, no, that's not, that's not how it works. Like it's a discipline and a cadence that you should practice for 50 years and you will be somewhat decent in about 10. That's just, yep. that's the truth. Yep. And so I just wish we had that attitude. And then, cause what's funny, I, whenever people say that, I always say like, you never, you never talk like that about Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. Like no one ever has a bad Christmas, which we've all had. Everyone's had the Christmas where the kids are super, you know, whiny and cryy and ungrateful for their presence. And the uncle comes over drunk and everyone's just like, it's terrible. And you leave the date. No one has the worst Christmas ever. And then December 26th says, oh, we're going to cancel Christmas next year. Right. No one ever does that. You just say, oh, we probably just didn't steward the Christmas the best. We probably didn't honor Christmas the best. And I think same thing with Sabbath. It's just like you iterate, you iterate, you change, you change, and you adapt into what is your healthy and natural rhythm and what's most restful. And I think, yeah, we just had to do that. And it took us a couple of years where like, man, what's restful for me? What's restful for Alyssa? What's restful for the kids? And we kind of start seeing it in more like blocks, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, hey, I need to be able to get away for a couple hours. Can you can you enable me to do that once yeah. a week, which is, you know, on Sabbath to, to read, to think, to I'm really introverted. I really want to think deeply and write and all these things. Can you enable me to do that? But then she's like, okay. And then I, can you give me a break? Can I go for a walk? You know, we live in Maui, so you can go for walks year round, you know, even in the winter. And so it's like, can I go for right. a walk today without the kids? And then it's, then it's family time. Okay, let's actually get outdoors and let's just go to a park where there's not, you know, any screens and it's the kids are kind of easier. There's not, you know, there's more space. They're not, you mm-hmm. know, breaking each other's necks and mm-hmm. all these different things. Like you kind of just have to figure it out until you, here, here's a better way to put it. You have to craft a day of rest. Yes. You have to actually craft That's it beautiful. and sit down and actually yep. like craft a day of rest. What is 24 happen? hours? I would honestly suggest to people listening, put 24 hours on a calendar or on a, on a piece of paper in two hour blocks. So there'd be 12 of them. Now go through those 12 hour blocks and you know what? Four of those should be sleep. Okay. Yeah. And for the other ones, write in what would be like 
the perfect version. So, you know, your first block can be eight from eight to 10 a.m., you know, Saturday morning or something. What would that mm-hmm. be for, from eight to 10 a.m.? What would, if you could craft your perfect day of rest, your high moment, your peak moment in the week, what would an eight to 10 look like for you? Some people that's more like, you know, go out and do something, have brunch. Some people that's like stay inside and not cook breakfast because I cook breakfast all week. I don't mm-hmm. know. So when we first started, like Jeff said, I was actually really bitter towards it because I was just like, I'm a young mom. And I was this getting into day. all the Sabbath stuff. I was like, babe, we got to do this. You got to read this. These authors I'm reading, these things right. I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, th- this sounds terrible. It sounds like double work. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just like, I'm a young mom. Nothing changes for me. It's the same every day. I have to prepare meals. I need to change diapers. You know, I'm up at night. And when we first started, it was like Jeff just wanted to read for five hours. And so he read and then I did everything else. I'm like, this is not a Sabbath. So it took us a long time to really craft it and... um and to enter into it. And I had to really like, really learn like, no, this is really good for our family. It brings a lot of life, but you have to prepare for it. It just doesn't happen. And a lot of communication. And we've had Sabbaths before that was like, ooh, that was not a very good one. Or that didn't fill me up. Or I wish I hadn't done that, but this was really good. And and so um, for us personally, it's me trying to get the things done that I don't want to do on Sabbath. So I try to get the laundry done. I try to vacuum the house. The day before. The day before, so I'm not doing that. On So it sets me up well. So the things that I normally do through the week, I have a break from. Um, And then for us, it's like really important to have family time in the morning with our kids. And we've learned it brings a lot of life when we do get outside and we go to the beach or we go for a hike or we do something fun that we don't normally do and it's outside. Jeff and I can connect. That really fills me up. Um, And put away our phones and we try to nap because that's really good. But it just kind of depends on like, you know, your kids. And so, and then with us, with little kids, we really enjoyed the dinner the night before. That's like really special. And the kids wake up from their nap on Friday afternoon and they're like, yay, it's Sabbath. And we make a special dinner. And part of it is like, I don't really cook. Jeff kind of takes that over or we go out just to give us a break. And the kids look forward to it every week. It's like, if they want to treat through the week, like, Hey mom, can we get shave ice? And we're like, let's do that on Sabbath. And so we've just learned little traditions and the kids love it and they look forward to it every week. And they know that on Sabbath, they get a treat that it's special family time and Jeff and I get a connect. And so that's been kind of our fun thing. Well, one of the big misconceptions of Sabbath is that it's the, it's a day of veg. Yeah. And it's not a day of veg. Right. It's a day of celebration. Mm-hmm. It's a day of partying, right? Theologically, the first time it shows up is in Genesis, which again, parallel ancient Near East texts, day seven of a temple building ceremony is the day you invite the God's presence to dwell in that temple. Now there's yeah. no temple in Genesis, but clearly it's the garden and clearly it's the earth, which is what makes... So Yahweh is saying, I'm going to come flood my earth with my presence. And yeah. that's an inauguration ceremony, right? When a new stadium opens, you cut the rib and it's a party. The first day of the stadium opening is called the inauguration ceremony. That's what day seven is in the garden. That's exactly the tone and the spirit of what that text is trying to say. And so that's what Sabbath is. It's an inauguration ceremony. It's a day of celebration and a day of inviting God in a really special place and a really special time, actually. I think that's Abraham Heschel who actually says, you know, Sabbath is actually sacred time when the temple is sacred space. And so, yeah, inviting that, setting that apart, living in that is, is huge for us. And I think the way you, both of you talked about it as this something you get to craft over time. You do not have to be perfect except, and this is true for married or singles, like you do not have to be perfect at figuring out how you Sabbath well on your first, I mean, I've probably been doing it 
When did Garden City come out, Jeff? When did you tell me to read it? 14? That probably would have been like, like yeah, I was going to say four, four years ago. Oh, that long? Probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it was like 2015, 2014. Yeah. And so I've been practicing this for three years, and yeah. I still don't get it right every week by any stretch. And so allowing people the practice of, I mean, it's with yoga. The reason, one thing people say about yoga is remember you're practicing. Like it's okay if you try a movie, you don't get it, you're practicing. And the same is true with Sabbath. It is a practice we should bring in to our lives, no matter whether it's just you or it's you and a spouse and three very tiny people. Totally. Or if they're growing up. I That's another interesting, I have another friend in Texas who his family's really committed to it. And then watching John Mark with his kids getting older, you just kind of go, oh, the kids learn the rhythms. Do you, are your kids learning that too with the treat and yeah. and knowing what what's no, happening after and they yeah. like And to me, it's like, they're almost the barometer yeah. of we know when we're doing it right because they, it's seen as a day of delight. It's a yeah. day of like, they, they, it's the high, here's the best way to put it that you don't have to call it Sabbath. You don't have to call it whatever, but if you could craft a peak moment every week, why would you not make it one that centers on the Lord and relationships and people around you? Not because mm-hmm. here's the thing. All of us have faux Sabbaths. I like to call meaning all of us, every single person listening has a high point of the week. And a lot of us, if we're in college, that's the Friday night mm-hmm. at the frat. Or yeah, that's sure. the football you know, game. Or that's the or or a lot of us, if we're a little bit older, middle age, it's the Sunday football game. Mm-hmm. Um, like what what's the high peak moment of your week? Now I would suggest to live in the most genuine humanness, that peak moment, you should try to always force it to be the day of delight or the day of rest, mm. more like the actual kind of like inviting God's presence to the table. So it should be the high moment, not the low moment, not a drudgy moment, mm-hmm, not a yeah. religious moment in in, the, in that sense. But, and yeah, so the kids are our barometer on that of like, yeah, like it's it's a high moment to them. It's a peak moment to them for the week that they look forward to. Just like like Christmas is the best analogy because it holds true on like twelve different layers. Yeah, it's like you you look forward to Christmas, you celebrate. Like, and here's what's cool is how cool is God that He actually thought the the, the Sabbath holiday was so important that we actually should celebrate it fifty two times a year. <laughs> and people always say, oh, well, that's Old Testament or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, here here I got a question for you. Name another one of the Ten Commandments that's just a suggestion post-Old Testament, and then maybe we can talk, right? Yeah. You know, no one says, no one says don't murder someone. Oh, well, that's Old Testament. You know, don't cover a wife. Oh, that's Old Testament. Like, say, no, like, it's just weird that we do that with Sabbath. That's the only one that we try to, like, wiggle out of. Right. And I, I heard another an, another pastor of friend of mine, uh, or not friend of mine, acquaintance I kind of know and have read. Is, you can he call it says, friends on this show, Jeff. You know that. Just call them all <laughs> exactly. friends. But he says, he says, yeah, he goes, you know, if I murder, like, all the Ten Commandments, if I murder someone, I go to jail. If I covet another person's wife, that will probably ruin my life, you know, if it goes down in a spiral. He goes, but if I don't take a Sabbath, I get a raise. And I'm like, dang, that's true, yeah. right? Like we get we we celebrate non-Sabbathness in our culture way more than we think, and we're much more like Egypt than actual Israel and Yahweh's people yeah. in Exodus. And yeah, America looks a lot more like the empire of Egypt in regards to power economy and slavery and a lot of other things. But whew, hold on, that was a whole nother conversation. Yeah, um, that's good. So, that's good. But yeah, that, that's so Sabbath. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I just think it's such a good thing for you guys. I mean, you're you're modeling being right in the middle of what some people say is the hardest part of being married. 
is when it's survival of the fittest, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so I know so many of my friends who are listening are right there with you who listen to this when they're going to carpool or listen to this while they're doing the dishes or after everybody's gone to bed and they're still folding laundry. And so I was like, man, I would love for Jeff and Alyssa to talk about like, look, we are in the middle and surviving and in some areas really thriving and trying to figure it out at the same time. Well, because I think rhythms are that. You have to have, again, rhythms are high point spiritual practices in a daily, weekly, yearly way. You have to have high points of meaning, high points of uh, spiritual practice that anchor you down in a daily, weekly, yearly mm, way, mm-hmm. or else then everything else is just going to take you other places, right? And again, right. We, we always say, oh, that's religious. But I'm like, no, that's not religious. Everyone does that, right? Apple lives on a daily, weekly, yearly calendar. They want you to look at their, your phone, your, their phone immediately when you wake up. Mm-hmm. They also have the natural rhythm of work email during the week. Now let's watch the Netflix app on the weekend on Apple TV. And then they clearly have the yearly holiday called buy the new iPhone and go stand in line and live in a tent to, to get it. So like everyone operates on daily, weekly, yearly ritual and meaning. Um, we just submit to a lot of the other ones kind of with our eyes closed. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Okay. You guys, (laughs) (laughs) you've really done it. Theology. This really this week on that sounds fiery couples. We're going theology. I like it. Sorry. I know it's a couple. Don't be sorry. I knew who I was calling. I wanted Jeff and Alyssa Bethke. I knew exactly who I was getting on here. Don't you apologize for being you. That's not allowed around here. Um, okay. You guys. Thank you for all of your wisdom. I and people, y'all are both super easy to find on the internet. So everyone's going to come and follow you. But I cannot let you go without answering my favorite question. Because if the show's called That Sounds Fun, I got to know what sounds fun to you. Okay, this is going to sound really like I'm an old man, but what sounds fun to me is cast iron right now. <laughs> and what I mean by that is I'm, I've, been, I've been obsessed. Like, okay, I'm one of those guys. I'm one of those guys that just goes down a hard, yes. hard rabbit hole of like having to do everything with full excellence. I was about to say, do you wing seven though on your Enneagram? You'd have to. No, he's wing nine. No, nine. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I know, right? And but I knew- eights go to five. Yes, which is a little bit more of the introverted, so high-level like research. research high level. Yeah, yep. totally. Yes. Um, and so cast iron is like, I'm just obsessed with it right now, and it sounds, that's all I think about, and it's very fun to think about <laughs> how to season your cast iron pans, which ones yes. are the best and why, how I'm envisioning my grandchildren using it when I'm older and when I die and when I pass it on to them. Oh, so I sound Annie. like I sound 90, but I have like seven of them that I've been buying <gasps> Literally and seasoning and every, stacking up. Every day there's a cast iron on our front doorstep. Oh. Because I'm testing them. I'm like, I'm why, ch- why do we have another one? Hey, they're all heirlooms they all would be passed down in that's right that's right (laughs) that's right they're not toxic that's right they're not they're you know they're there yeah exactly go ahead okay what sounds fun um so i really love oil painting and i had to take a really long season off because when i was pregnant with lucy it made me really nauseous and i just started last week and now all i can dream about is painting so (gasps) yeah she's an amazing that sounds really fun oh my gosh and you did didn't you do a series of cows am i making or giraffes you did a series of animals cows well i did it well i just did one cow cows uh ocean she's done some oceans have some flowers it's all hung up around the house it's amazing that's few i've seen you post online i've been like of course she can do that golly i know you aren't supposed (laughs) to have all the things Alyssa. you're supposed to lack something Amazing. I definitely don't have all the things. <laughs> I don't know, sister. I don't know. Well, thank you guys. I love y'all. Thanks for being on the show. I'm really grateful for what you model for me and just for being my friend. And I'm coming to Maui again. I'm just ready. Hey, do. let's do it. We're ready. But no, thanks so much. This was an absolute blast. Anyone listening, I love conversations. So hop on over to social and I'd love to continue this one and talk more about it because some of the stuff I could have gone on and on. <laughs> 
Uh, don't you guys love them? I know. I know. They're just the best. They're so fun. So easy to talk to. I just think the world of them. Hey, make sure you subscribe and check out their new podcast. Make sure you grab their books. I mean, they're just great people to know. So make sure you follow both of them. Check out all of their stuff. Thank you, Jeff and Alyssa, for being part of That Sounds Fun Family and for talking to us today. I'm really, really grateful. Hey, if y'all need anything from me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs across the internet, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you're looking for me, that's where you can find me. And if you have a friend who you think would enjoy the show, go ahead and send it over to them. That is one of my favorite things. This morning, I sent about 15 of my friends one of Jen Hatmaker's episodes. I thought everyone should hear this. This is such an interesting conversation. If you felt that about this one with Jeff and Alyssa, just send it out to your friends. That would be so fun. And it's really helpful for the show. And if you can rate and review the show, if you haven't gotten to do that yet, wherever you love to listen to podcasts, that would mean the world. As always, go out there and do something that sounds fun to you. And I will do the same. And we will see you back here on Monday. Y'all have a great weekend.